0: How do we know the Bible is not true? By Quilly Cush. Babies. What do you think of when you see a newborn baby? Most people think something like, oh, look how cute that baby is. It's so precious. But that's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches that all humans are born sinful and deserving of God's judgment. And that no amount of good works could ever remove our guilt. So if God suffered the punishment for our sins, that means we're off the hook, right? Not so fast. You see, there is a a stipulation. God will only forgive you if you believe that he did that. That's right. According to Christianity, you are doomed unless you believe that the almighty, all knowing, all powerful creator of the universe made the world and everything in it, then created two people one of which ate a magical fruit that gave her knowledge of good and evil. And because she gained knowledge of good and evil, her descendants were then doomed until God makes himself into a man, comes down to earth, gets himself murdered, comes back to life, all to atone for the woman eating the magical fruit. We talk about fear-based marketing. I mean, this is fear-based marketing 101. According to Christianity, heaven is full of sinners who believe in God and hell, is full of righteous people who don't believe in God. Thankfully, we know that none of this is true. You don't have to be afraid of going to hell for not believing in the Bible or believing in God. So how do we know that the Bible is not true? Let's get started. First, I would like to remind you of a little thing called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is a type of cognitive bias that involves favoring information that confirms our previously existing beliefs. This is often done unintentionally, but as researchers, it is our responsibility to make sure that we reduce our own confirmation bias. This can be done by seeking information from a range of sources, preferably sources that disagree with one another, using techniques to consider situations from multiple perspectives and discussing these perspectives with others. Which brings me to the first source we will use for the purpose of this episode, AnswersInGenesis.org, a Christian website which details why the Bible is true. According to AnswersInGenesis.org, the Bible includes major moral failings of its heroes, yet most other religious writings tend to whitewash the flaws of their heroes. So right off the bat, we have a problem. The Bible is guilty of whitewashing moral failings of its heroes as well, especially those of Jesus. For example, there are many stories about Jesus as a child which have been omitted from the Bible, one of which Jesus actually kills another kid. But they took this out of the Bible in an effort to make Jesus seem more real. How will removing the story of Jesus killing another kid make Jesus seem more real? Well, because there are other older stories where mythical figures also had done the same thing when they were children. So if Jesus does the same thing as these other mythical figures, he looks more mythical rather than as a real person. So the compilers of the Bible simply omitted these books. Ansoningenesis.org goes on to say that the Bible accurately reveals historical people and places. Does this mean that the Bible is true? Well, not necessarily, because there is a genre called historical fiction, which is a fictional account that takes place in the actual past. The best example is Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. You remember that movie, right? Where Abraham Lincoln goes around killing vampires and is really bloody and gory. Well, Abraham Lincoln is a real person who was the president during the Civil War, But he wasn't a damn vampire slayer. The story is fiction. So while the Bible may include people that actually existed, such as King David or Pontius Pilate, we don't necessarily know if the things that were attributed to these people were actually historical events. We need extra biblical evidence in order to conclude that evidence that we simply don't have. Strike two for the Christians. The Christian website goes on to talk about an archaeologist, Dr. William F. Albright, Who asserted the accuracy of the Bible's history? Quote, thanks to modern research we now recognize in its substantial historicity, the narratives of the patriarchs of Moses and Exodus and the conquest of Canaan, of the judges, the monarchy, exile, and restoration have all been confirmed and illustrated to an extent that I should have thought impossible 40 years ago. End quote. However, when we look at Biblearchaeology.org, we find that there have been many new discoveries and additional analysis done which largely overturned Albright's theories since his death in 1971. Although many people, including Kenneth Kitchen, has made a determined effort to keep the theory alive, there is no valid evidence, biblical or extra-biblical, to sustain it. Even the biblical account clearly dates the Exodus conquest in the 15th century BC and not the 13th century as Albright suggested. On top of that, the majority of Palestinian archaeologists have rejected the concept of an exodus conquest altogether in favor of other hypotheses for the origin of Israel. The most popular theory today is that Israel did not originate outside of Canaan, but rather arose from the indigenous population in the 12th century B.C. But that's all Old Testament stuff. What about the New Testament? It's more recent, so there's got to be more evidence for the stories in the New Testament, right? And it turns out there actually is. For example... In the book of Luke, the proper location of Apollonia, where travelers would spend successive nights is mentioned, the presence of a synagogue in Thessalonica, the proper title polytarchs used for the magistrates there, the correct implication that sea travel was the most convenient way of reaching Athens, which favored the east winds of summer sailing. They mentioned the abundance of the presence of images in Athens, the reference to a synagogue in Athens. They detail a fairly accurate reaction of Greek philosophers who denied bodily resurrection, And they even used the proper title for members of the court, Aeropagites. However, everything I just listed can be found in the same chapter. So this doesn't lend credence to the historicity of the entire Bible. Rather, it only proves that the author of Luke has some intimate knowledge of the people and the places he was writing about. Remember what we said about historical fiction and Abraham Lincoln not being a real vampire slayer? Well, this could be true for the book of Luke as well. Furthermore, none of these things touches on the real meat of the Bible, i.e. Jesus and the virgin birth and the resurrection. That's what we care about. Is that true? Luke doesn't talk about that in any of these accounts. So the fact that some things are accurate is utterly trivial in the sense of proving that the Bible is true, at least the parts that we care about. Think about our example of Abraham Lincoln. If I told you that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire slayer and you said you didn't believe me and then I showed you a movie that had all of the correct names and places, does that prove that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire slayer? No, and the book of Luke doesn't prove that Jesus resurrected or was born of a virgin. Answers in goes on to say that the crucifixion of Jesus under Pontius Pilate has been proven through the writings of Tacitus. This is simply not true because Tacitus is not a contemporary of Jesus, meaning he was writing about 70 years after Jesus would have been crucified if he actually was. So this guy wasn't even born yet when it happened. So he didn't know if this event actually took place. At best, he was retelling a story. But it turns out that Tacitus was actually a Roman senator. So if anybody was going to lie about Jesus being crucified, it would be somebody like Tacitus. I mean, think about it. It's not like they invented writing in the second century. They had writing before Jesus was born. So you mean to tell me this guy lived this life and nobody wrote about him or him getting crucified and coming back from the dead until the next century? That's crazy. That would be like 9-11 happening and nobody writes about it or talks about it until 70 years later. Major events get talked about more than mundane events. So. Something major like a Masonic figure rising from the dead or being crucified. That would be noteworthy. But we have precisely zero contemporary writings for the life of Jesus or the death and crucifixion of Jesus. And that would be strike four for the Christians. Y'all struck out a long time ago, but we're going to keep going. So how do we know that the Bible is not true? Well, In the book of Isaiah, God presents a challenge to all of the other religions in the world. And I quote Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. So in the Bible, this challenge is presented to the other religions Asking, can they accurately foretell future events? Well, the problem is, the Bible can't even accurately foretell future events. All of the so-called prophecies in the Bible are not prophecies at all. They're just simply people writing about what they think will happen or what they want to happen. And then later on, sometimes hundreds of years later, another writer comes on and writes that that thing happened. Does that mean that it actually happened? Imagine this. I, Kwali Kush, the atheist, writes a book and it says that in 20 years there will be a house on the land where there isn't a house now and 20 years later i build the house there is that a prophecy or was i just telling you what i was planning on doing anyway let's go to isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 which says i am the lord that is my name and my glory i will not give to another nor my praise to carve images behold the former things have come to pass and new things i declare before they spring forth i tell you of them really you do because you didn't mention germs or the fact that washing our hands could prevent a lot of diseases and illness in the world that would be something that a god would put in the bible right i mean think of all the sicknesses and deaths that could have been prevented by simply telling people that germs exist and you should wash your hands. Well, this isn't mentioned in the Bible because clearly the Bible wasn't written by an all-knowing God and the people who wrote it can't tell the future. I hear arguments of prophecies from Christians all the time. So if you believe that there are prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible, please call in. Now is your time to prove to me and you might just convert me to an atheist because if you can prove to me that there are some prophecies that have actually been fulfilled in the Bible, I would take that into serious consideration on my position. So please call in and tell us what these prophecies are and how they have been fulfilled. I dare you. Now, let's talk about camels. Why? Camels play a central role in the book of Genesis and are mentioned as pack animals in the biblical stories of Abraham, Joseph, and Jacob. But according to newly published research by Tel Aviv University, based on radiocarbon dating and evidence unearthed in excavations, camels were not domesticated in the land of Israel until the late 10th century B.C., several centuries after the time they appear in the bible the university states and i quote in addition to challenging the bible's historicity this anachronism is direct proof that the text was compiled well after the events it describes end quote robert eisenman a professor of middle east religions and archaeology states that we have known about this camel anachronism for over a century now from site analysis the hebrews were donkey people living on the coastlines and water routes, not camel people. Most of the proof we have that the Bible is not true comes from the very first book, Genesis. Genesis claims that the first human couple was Adam and Eve. But we know from analyzing the fossil record that humans did not suddenly appear on Earth, but rather they evolved gradually over the course of about six million years. People often get confused when they hear scientists refer to Y chromosome Adam and mitochondrial Eve. However, these two individuals simply passed down a portion of their genomes to the vast expanse of humanity. And they may have lived around the same time, but were not contemporaries of each other. So attempts to reconcile genetics with genesis are very unlikely to succeed. And just to set the record straight, they were not the only man and woman alive at the time, or the only people to have present-day offspring. These individuals simply had the good fortune of successfully passing on specific portions of their DNA from the man, the Y chromosome, and from the woman, the mitochondrial genome, through the millennia to most of us today, while the corresponding sequences of others have largely died out. So not only does the evidence that we observe directly contradict the story of Genesis, but... So does common sense. Women give birth to men, not the other way around. Another big clue that tells us the Bible is not true is the fact that the Bible claims that God can see the future and tell us the future. Yet he still made Adam and Eve, knowing that Eve would eventually sin and doom mankind. And he would have to flood the whole earth and kill everybody and make Noah. Well, if he was an all knowing God, he could have just made Noah to begin with. Or hell, better yet, just started off with Jesus. Or hell, better yet, just made everybody in heaven. But God made Adam and Eve, so he couldn't have known the future. If he did, it's almost like he's dooming us himself because he knew it was going to happen. So clearly this all-knowing attribute that people attribute to God and that the Bible claims that God has cannot be true at the same time that Genesis is true. Something's got to give. Either it's all bullshit or one of them is bullshit, but they both can't be true. God can't be all-knowing and make Adam and Eve knowing what's going to happen and then come back and try to redeem what happened. That is idiotic and senseless and pointless, and an all-knowing being would know that, especially if he can see the damn future. Likewise, we have overwhelming evidence that the flood mentioned in the Bible never happened. There have been hundreds of archaeological excavations that have attempted to find evidence of an apocalyptic flood such as is described in both the Bible and the Epic of Gilgamesh, but precisely zero have succeeded. There is no trace anywhere on the planet of a devastating global flood. And not to mention the simple fact that there is not enough water molecules on the planet to cover the entire surface of the planet up to Mount Everest. Another clue that tells us the Bible is not true is that there is absolutely no proof that the exodus and the related miracles, the devastating plagues, the burning bush, the parted sea, the manna in the wilderness actually occurred. While turning up artifacts as far back as the late Stone Age, excavations in Sinai did not produce a single piece of evidence for the Israelites 40 year wandering in the desert. Most biblical scholars today widely agree that there was never any mass migration of the proportions described in the Bible. It is estimated that the diaspora would have numbered around some 2 million people out of an entire Egyptian population in 1250 BC. That would have been about 3 million. Not to mention all three of the world's main monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, love to talk about Moses. He takes up about 15% of the Christian Bible and is mentioned 136 times in the Quran, more than any other prophet. He remains a universal symbol of liberation, leadership, and law he was immortalized by Michelangelo. However, archaeologists and biblical critics argue that there is no direct evidence for Moses' existence. And much like many other parts of the Bible, details about Moses' life, such as him floating as a baby in a basket in it now, appear to originate from earlier legends. So what have we learned? Through the fossil record, we know that Adam and Eve never existed, and we just learned that Moses never existed. But let's talk about somebody who actually did exist. King Herod King Herod was the ruler of Judea from 37 BC to 4 BC and he was a bloody tyrant in fact he actually had several members of the Jewish government be executed when he died so that people would be sad however there is no record that King Herod's massacre of the innocents, as depicted in the book of Matthew actually happened in which he attempted to kill every male child under two in his kingdom in an attempt to destroy the baby Jesus. This, much like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer, is an example of historical fiction. People often mistake King Herod for being a Jewish king, when in fact, he wasn't a Jewish king. He was just the king of the Jews. He was actually polytheistic, and he believed in a lot of different religions and would have different shrines built for different religious groups, in which he wanted to endear himself to all over the Roman Mediterranean. Now, let's get to some controversial topics the contradictions in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Many Christians love to claim that the Bible doesn't have contradictions, but read them and weep. We about to go through them. All right, let's get it. Jesus is claimed in the book of Matthew to be born during the time of King Herod's reign. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is said to be born when Quirinius was governor of Syria. However, Quirinius didn't become governor of Syria until about 11 years after King Herod died. So clearly the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew cannot both be correct about this. This is a contradiction, folks. Second contradiction in the book of Luke. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth and then moved to Bethlehem where Jesus was born in a stable. However, Matthew says that they lived in Bethlehem and then moved to Nazareth after Jesus was born. Well, which one is it? Somebody doesn't have their story right. Either way the bible contradicts the bible so please stop saying that there are no contradictions in the bible read your damn book i'm not gonna read it to you let's keep it rolling in matthew chapter 1 verse 20 the angel spoke to joseph but in luke chapter 1 verse 28 the angel spoke to mary Uh uh-oh the Bible says, Honor your father and your mother. Yet Jesus says, You must hate your father, your mother, your wife, and your children, and even your own life to be a disciple. Says, Call no man on earth your father. Uh oh. God says, Thou shalt not kill. Yet then he advocates genocide and even orders it in Exodus and Leviticus. Uh oh. The Bible also says that God is all-knowing and can see the future and even tell us the future. But if that's true, then why did he need people to mark their houses with blood in order to keep from killing their babies inside? I mean, wouldn't an all-knowing God know which house to pass over? Okay, so far we've talked about how the Bible contradicts itself. We've went over some inconsistencies with the claimed attributes of God and what is claimed about God in the Bible. We have explored some scientific Inaccuracies and archaeological data that disproves the Bible. Now, let's get into how the Bible is eerily similar to stories that predate the Bible by thousands of years. So in order to do this, I want to have a little bit of viewer participation. So, now is your time to interact with us. So, we're going to play a little game. I like to call this game Gilgamesh or Genesis, it's real easy. I'm going to make a statement that came from a story, either the story of Genesis or the story of Gilgamesh. All you have to do is type in, in a live chat, which story I'm quoting from. A for Genesis, B for Gilgamesh, C for both, or D for none of the above. Okay, let's get started, shall we? Number one, God decided to send a worldwide flood. This would drown men, women, children, babies, and infants, as well as eliminate all of the land of animals and birds. So which story did this come from? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both or neither? Type your answer in the live chat now. said a you're correct if you said b or c you're also correct because the story happened in both genesis and gilgamesh there was a worldwide flood that drowned everybody eliminating all the animals and birds on the land number two god knew of one righteous man what story did this come from genesis or gilgamesh a for genesis b for gilgamesh c for both or d for none of the above type your answer in the live chat now and the correct answer is c both Stories depict of God knowing of only one righteous man. In Genesis, the man is Noah, and in the Epic of Gilgamesh, his name is Ut napishtim Number three. God ordered a hero to build a multi-story wooden ark. And the hero initially complained about the assignment to build the ark. Which story did it happen in? A, B, C, or D? Type your answer in the live chat now. Ah, so I see some of y'all had caught on. The correct answer is C, both. Now keep in mind that while playing this game, the Epic of Gilgamesh is an epic poem from Mesopotamia that predates the Bible by about 2000 years. Number four, the Ark would have had many compartments, a single door, was sealed with pitch, and would house two of every animal species. What story is this from? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both, or neither. You guessed it, both. Number 5. A great rain covered the land with water. Now this is easy, did it happen in Genesis, Gilgamesh, both, or neither? That's right. In both stories, a great rain covered the land with water. Now, number six, the Ark landed on the mountain in the Middle East. So which story was this? Which story did the Ark land in the Middle East? Genesis or Gilgamesh? Or was it both or neither? Maybe it's a trick question. Type your answer in the live chat now. And I can't get nothing past y'all. Y'all got it again. See both. Number seven. First two birds returned to the ark. The third bird apparently found dry land because it did not return. Now, which story is this from? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both, or neither? See I tried to trip you up that time But the answer is both C Number 8 The hero and his finally left the ark Ritually killed an animal Offered it as a sacrifice A, B, C or D Type your answer in the live chat now And yes This did happen in both the Epic of Gilgamesh and the story of Genesis. The answer is C. Now, I know some of y'all going to get this one wrong. One of these stories, either the Epic of Gilgamesh or the Book of Genesis, depicts the gods being sorry after the genocide that they had committed. Which story was it? Genesis, Gilgamesh, both or neither? Lo and behold, the answer is C. Both. The Babylonian gods did seem genuinely sorry in the epic of Gilgamesh for the genocide. And the god in the Bible apparently was sorry because he promised never to do it again. Now keep in mind, folks, the level of detail in these stories. It's not just a matter of a flood happening in both stories, but there are specific details. Three birds sent out, resisting the call to build the ark in the beginning. A single man being chosen by God to build the ark. Now consider the fact that the story of Gilgamesh predates the Bible by about 2000 years. So do you honestly think that the writers of the Bible had never heard of the story of Gilgamesh? And if they had heard it, that means they were simply rehashing an old popular tale. So what does that say about the Bible's truthfulness? Now let's talk about the life of Jesus. Jesus, revered by many because they believed that he was born of a virgin and died and resurrected Performed miracles like healing the sick, walking on water, turning water into wine, etc, etc. But what if I told you that Jesus wasn't the first person to do any of those things? Actually, he was the last one. There are many characters that predate Jesus by thousands of years that we all consider to be mythical, but they are told to do some of the things that Jesus has done, including the virgin birth and the resurrection. There is that of Asclepios who healed the sick, raised the dead, and was known as a savior and a redeemer. And then we have the myth of Hercules, who was born of a divine father and a mortal mother, just like Jesus, and was known as the savior of his world. And we have that of Dionysus, who was thought to literally be the son of God, born from a woman who had not had sex with a man, and was depicted riding a donkey. He was a traveling teacher who performed miracles and was killed and resurrected, after which time he became immortal. Again, that's Dionysus, not Jesus. Then we have that of Osiris, who did all of those things and was born of a virgin, was considered the first true king of the people. And when he died, he rose from the grave and went to heaven. Osiris's son, Horus, was known as the light of the world, the good shepherd and the lamb. He was also referred to as the way, the truth and the life. His symbol was a cross-like symbol. And there's that of Mithra, whose birthday was celebrated, guess when? On December 25th, his birth was witnessed by local shepherds who brought him gifts. He had 12 disciples and when he was done on earth, he had a final meal before going up to heaven. Sound familiar? On Judgment Day, he will return to pass judgment on the living and the dead. The good will go to heaven and the evil will die in a giant fire. His holiday is on Sunday, because he's the sun god, His followers called themselves brothers and their leaders fathers. They had baptism and a meal ritual where symbolic flesh and blood were eaten. Heaven was in the sky and hell was below with the demons and sinners. And then we have the myth of Krishna who had a miraculous conception where three wise men were able to come to because they were guided by a star. After he was born, an area ruler tried to have him found and killed. His parents were warned by a divine messenger. However, they escaped and were met by shepherds. The boy grew up to be a mediator between God and man. And then there's Buddha, whose mother was told by an angel that she'd give birth to a holy child destined to be a savior. As a child, he teaches the priest in his temple about religion while his parents look for him. He starts his religious career about 30 years of age and is said to have spoken to 12 disciples on his deathbed. One of his disciples is his favorite and another is a traitor. He and his disciples abstained from wealth and traveled around speaking in parables and metaphors. He called himself the son of man and was referred to as a prophet, master and lord. He healed the sick, cured the blind and deaf and walked on water one of his disciples tried to walk on water as well but was sunk because his faith wasn't strong enough then you have apollonius who actually lived in the time that jesus was alleged to live and some people even think that the story of jesus was adopted from apollonius's life apollonius was said to perform countless miracles like healing the sick and restoring sight to the blind he casted out demons and he was born of a virgin He knew the scripture well as a child. He was crucified, rose from the dead, and appeared to his disciples to prove his power before going to heaven to sit at the right hand of the father. He was known as the son of God as well. So how do all of these similarities with the life of Jesus prove that the Bible is not true? Well, simply because all of these mythical characters existed in story form thousands of years before Jesus was alleged to even live. And with that said, I would like to remind everybody that everything we have covered in this episode is merely the tip of the iceberg. There is lots of more information that will convince you, if you are willing to look at it, that the Bible is, in fact, fiction. So what do we mean when we say the Bible is fiction? There's plenty of factually true statements in almost all works of fiction, but it is how they function strategically and rhetorically that counts. If I start off by saying once upon a time. I'm inviting you into an exercise in fictionalization. Even if I say something true after that, once upon a time, there was a president named Nixon and he was almost impeached. This is true. But nonetheless, you wonder, what's your point? What moral are you pointing to by making it a once upon a time statement? Once upon a time, like fiction in general, goes beyond concerns for the truth or falsity of what really happened. Fiction is like drama. Where the historical accuracy behind, let's say, Shakespeare's Richard III is not an issue. The real Richard wasn't as bad as Shakespeare portrayed him, but it doesn't matter. Shakespeare's point is a moral one, not a historical one. Moral in the sense of providing a lesson about the human condition. Both fiction and drama are presentational modes of communication. They work as art. They have a presentational point to make. By contrast... Sigmund Freud's Totem and Taboo is not presentational. It is written rather artfully in places, but its artistry is beside the point, whereas the artfulness of fiction is not. However well Freud wrote it, Totem and Taboo is an altogether erroneous account of the way ritual developed historically. Freud meant it as science, and its problem, therefore, is that it is not good science, not that it is fiction. The Bible, however, Is fiction because overall its authors meant it as presentation not as science or even as history which is a form of science with its own scientific rules of evidence sometimes they accepted the truth of the stories they used but sometimes they did not job and esther describe personalities who never lived and the authors knew it some of it reports historical fact of course there was a person named king david and there was a babylonian invasion etc there was also a prophet named isaiah But his prophecies were included in the Bible to give us a lesson of morality, not to say that they were actually true or that they happened. The same is true of Genesis through Deuteronomy, Kings, Judges, and all the other books, some of whose characters really lived and some of whom didn't. It doesn't matter. Fiction can be chock full of characters who really lived with the storyline of things they really did and still be fiction. So I want to thank y'all for watching and participating with me tonight. At this point in time, we're gonna open up the phone lines for discussion. If you wanna add your two cents to what I said, or if you disagree with something I said, or you have any questions, now is the time to call in and ask your question or state your comment. The link is in the live chat and also in the description below, and you can see the phone number right there on the bottom of the screen. Now, when you call in people, first of all, this is gonna be a respectful dialogue between The host and the viewers We don't tolerate disrespect We don't disrespect you You don't disrespect us Cool? Got it And when you call in I want to know the answer to some some questions So if you can answer any of these questions Please, now's the time to call in and do so I want to know How is Jesus' crucifixion a sacrifice If he rose from the dead? I mean, when you sacrifice something It's gone But Jesus rose from the dead three days later. So was it really a sacrifice or was it a bad weekend? I mean, if he was a mortal in the beginning of time and he's a mortal today, where's the sacrifice? I also want to know that if Jesus' death was supposed to be the sacrifice for our sins, then how come we still have to accept him as our savior to avoid an eternity in hell? What did his death really accomplish? I also want to know why does the Bible talk constantly about how to manage slaves and how to kill one's enemies, but doesn't talk about things that we think should be straightforward, things we get from a Bible, like wash your hands and prevent illness and disease. Don't touch little kids in a sexual way. Like, why isn't any of that stuff in the Bible? And also, I want to know. Why does the Bible mirror stories that predate the Bible by thousands of years? Why is the life of Jesus so eerily similar to other mythical figures? Is the Bible a big book of plagiarism or is there some other explanation here? These are the things I want to know from Christians or Bible believers. Please call in now and let me know. And while y'all get y'all calls together, your phone, your computer or whatever, uh, get your hair together, make sure you're looking all right because you're going to be on camera. Get you a sip of water so you don't sound crazy. We're going to go to commercial break. We'll be right back after this.